Good morning, church family. It's so good to get to worship with you today. And if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, my name is Randy. I'm privileged to be the lead minister here at the church. And uh, we just want to uh, welcome you uh, to the church family. Um, so glad that we sang that hymn because uh, we're going to be talking about heart and vision and sight. And we're in a series on the Beatitudes. And um, what I want to do this morning for our scripture reading is ask you to turn to the Old Testament book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 24. You'll find that on page 458 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please feel free to uh, uh, take the copy that's in the pouch in front of you. I'm having you turn there because I, um, I want you to read the psalm from which today's beatitude is based. So when Jesus gave us the sixth beatitude, which we'll read in a moment, um, in his mind he was thinking of Psalm chapter 24. So I think it's important for us to read that um, as a prelude to the sixth beatitude. Psalm 24, page 458 of your church Bibles. A psalm of David, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And you see in the margin there that word selah. It's a Hebrew term. It's a Remember, this is a psalm, a song, and that term means pause. In other words, just sit in that truth for just a moment and contemplate what you just sang. And the psalm continues, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord. Strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. This is God's word. And then we read Matthew chapter. 5, verse 8, and Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, the word of God. August the 7th, 1974, something happened in New York City that will never, ever happen again. 
That morning, at the site of the World Trade Center, a pedestrian was on a sidewalk and looked up and all of a sudden began screaming at the top of her voice, Wirewalker! 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 And, and a crowd gathered and turned their gaze upward and there he was. 110 floors up, the Frenchman, Philippe Petit. He and a crew of accomplices had spent the entire night stretching a cable across a 138-foot span between the two towers. And shortly after 7 a.m., Philippe stepped on the wire and walked the wire. And the police said, he just didn't walk. The police said, he danced. He knelt. At one point in time, he was flat on his back. He's 1,400 feet high. The World Trade Center towers connected by this, this high-wire cable, which, by the way, was the only time in the history of the towers that they were con ever connected by a physical object. The police were just uh, uh, amazed, and, and they were at both, uh, you know, towers, and, and so Philippe would... He would tease them. He went to one of the towers and just was within arm's reach, and then he would spin around and then head back the other way. Taunted them. This went on for 45 minutes. He went back and forth eight times. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. A uh, 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 feat that you know, never before repeated. And, and what's fascinating, and what I like too is these uh, pictures is, so he gets down off the uh, uh, wire after, after uh, um, 45 minutes. Let's see the next uh, slide. Of course, the police are finally there. They arrest him, and that was what he was charged with. You know? <laughs> And that became the title of this uh, Oscar-winning documentary. And uh, so he, he was examined by a psychiatrist to see if he was sane that day. Psychiatrist says, yeah, he's sane all right. I mean, he's not insane. He's sane. He knew what he was doing. He was, his mind's all there. But fascinating story. And, and the judge ended up throwing out the charges uh, under the condition that he would uh, do some high-wire work for children. There, in, in uh, downtown New York. But what a fascinating story that took place uh, August the 7th, 1974. And, and I'll tell you what was fascinating. What, what was fascinating was not the fact that he was up nearly 1,400 feet. That wasn't fascinating, not to me. What was fascinating was not the fact that, he, that the cable was less than an inch thick, 
What was fascinating was not the fact that the towers were so tall that they swayed in the wind. What was fascinating was not the the 200 times that he and his crew visited the World Trade Center scouting and doing all the intel and the reconnaissance and all that. What's fascinating was not the fact that he was able to smuggle two tons worth of equipment up to the top of that tower. That wasn't fascinating. It wasn't. And what was even fascinating was not the fact that weeks before the walk, Philippe stepped on a nail, went through his foot. Bless you. What was fascinating, he said, get to what was fascinating, Pastor. I said, I am. What was fascinating was, was the look on Philippe's face once he stepped on the wire. His friends said, his friends said that his face became like a mask, meaning all sense of time. And all awareness of the crowd simply disappeared. It was just Philippe and the wire. And his friends said, you know, it was beyond an acrobatic trick or a circus act. His friends said, their words, what they witnessed on that wire was art. Poetry. He he didn't just walk. He danced. He was playful. 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 And then to hear Philippe describe He describes this experience in spiritual terms. He said it was as if the wire was calling me. It was calling me. And then he said this. It it went beyond spiritual to evangelical. He said this. He said there comes a point in time when one foot is on the building and one foot is on the wire And you've got to take the foot that's on the building and put it on the wire. And when that happens, you enter another world. You're there. My goodness. Calling? Another world? What would it be like to experience something like that? Something to attract your life? Something from which you say, this is, this is why I was born. This is my destiny. This whole thing was concocted in a dentist office. In 1968, Philippe had a toothache. He's in the waiting room. He's waiting to see the dentist, and he picks up a magazine, and he sees the, the, the uh, 
future World Trade Center towers, and he just sees it, and he sees the walk. In fact, he rips the page out of the magazine, and he leaves. He doesn't even go to see the dentist, and he says that the vision of the two towers and the walk was greater than the pain in my tooth. Now, if any of this resonates with any part of your soul, um, you're beginning to touch on what Jesus talks about in the sixth beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Let's put it up on the screen. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's say that together on three. One, two, three. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Again, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, in our study on the Beatitudes, I've tried to emphasize, I've tried to overemphasize that when Jesus gave the Beatitudes, he did not give these Beatitudes as a sort of updated list of Ten Commandments. It's so easy for us to read the Beatitudes as just another checklist of moralistic behaviors. But that's really not what's going on here in terms of what Jesus is offering the Beatitudes as an invitation to another world, life in his world. And if there's any of the Beatitudes, uh, if there are any of the Beatitudes uh, of which we might turn moralistic, I think this is the one. Because it's so easy for us to read this and we just make a moralistic jump and we, we read it and we think, okay, if I want to see God, if I want to get in good with God's graces, then I'm going to have to step it up. I'm going to have to do more work. I'm going to have to do more, try harder, be purer. And then the purer I behave, then the more likely I'll be to get to see the man upstairs. And the problem with that perspective is that it turns Christianity into just another works-based faith. And that's not Jesus' intention because the gospel is not Jesus coming to reform your moral outward etiquette. Rather, the gospel is Jesus coming to transform your heart. Jesus wants to change your heart. And what that means is this. Listen closely. Christ would not be content with an adultery-free society. Christ would not be content with a murder-free culture. He wouldn't. For does he not say a little later on in the Sermon on the Mount... You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And and, and then does he not say later that if you harbor murderous rage against your brother, you're liable to judgment. That's why verse 8 does not say, blessed are the pure in actions. Blessed are the pure in deeds. Jesus wants your heart. He's after your heart. Because your heart is where you live. 
And here in this beatitude is compressed the wisest psychoanalytical observation that you can you could ever receive really consider these questions why do why do people do what they do watch your toddler pitch a fit this morning watch your friend get upset in the middle of the conversation why is your high schooler so angry what's that about why is your mother so critical and controlling Why is your colleague swallowed up by depression and despair? Why is that? Why would a man risk his family for 20 minutes of... Why do you get so upset at traffic? On the other hand, how is it that your mentor is able to conduct herself with such poise and grace under pressure? How is it that that patient with a terminal illness possesses such inexplicable joy? How is it that, that child in the burn unit of the hospital smiles? How is that possible? Why does that happen? Why do people do what they do? The simplest, most biblical answer Jesus gives is the heart. The heart. In the Bible, the heart is, is the word picture of the inner you. There's the outer Randy, and then there's the inner Randy. And the, the inner Randy has to do with Randy's conscience and Randy's mind and Randy's soul and Randy's spirit and all of it is encompassed in this one word picture, the heart. The heart and the human heart is incredibly complex. It's a world in and of itself. It's a world with worlds. And, and in the Bible here, there's just, you know, James 4.1 tells us that the heart is a war zone where your desires battle one another for domination. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 and 45, that your heart is the uh, orchard producing fruit. Some that's good, some that's not good. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, the heart is the source from which all of your life flows. It's the command center that makes all of your decisions directing your entire life. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart reminds us of a carnival house with carnival mirrors capable of deceiving you about who you are. Throughout the Bible, we see the heart as... Uh, uh, the place where you dream your greatest hopes. It's, the heart is a secret garden of your utmost private thoughts. In the Bible, the heart is the place where reasoning happens. Now, in the West, we think of, you know, the head doing the thinking and the heart doing the feeling. But the Bible does not make that distinction. They go together and According to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, your heart is a home where Christ dwells by faith. 
That's why lasting change always travels through the pathway of the heart. It's not enough to change my outer behavior or to change my circumstances. If my heart doesn't change, I don't change. And outside forces may temporarily compel change, but once the outside forces go away, guess what happens to the change? The change goes away. And this is why this is why we struggle, you know, with, with hard things in life. This is why some people gain and lose and gain and lose and gain and lose. And this is why some people relapse. And, and, and uh, this is why some relationships uh, uh, are broken over and over and over again. We say, you know, you know, why do all my relationships end up the same way? Because they start the same way. That's why. Outward does not compel change. The, once the pressure leaves, the change leaves. The brand spanking new golf clubs aren't going to help a poor swing. And really expensive kitchen cookware is not going to guarantee a gourmet meal. We, we know this. Well, it's the same thing. It's true. Lasting life change starts with the heart. And Christ transforms us starting with the heart, radically changing our hearts. And so, from this verse, we can see that the, the condition of your heart determines the direction of your eyes, which determines the destination of your life. I'll say it again. The condition of your heart determines the direction of your eyes, which determines the destination of your life. That's what Jesus is saying here. And, and so in Matthew 5, 8, pure in heart, Jesus means far more than moral purity. He, it's not less than that, but it's way more than that. You see, in Matthew 5, 8, the opposite of a pure heart is not a dirty heart. It's a deluded heart. It's a divided heart. It's a heart that cannot make up its minds about its loyalties. Pure heart is a heart that is single-minded, or as one scholar put it, free from the tyranny of the divided self. And so the pure heart in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, prepares us for the healthy eye in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. You see, just one chapter later, Jesus says the same thing, only he's talking about the eye. He's connecting the eye and the heart. It's the same thing, just a different way of saying it. The pure heart in 5.8 is the healthy eye in 6, 22 and 23. So what Jesus is telling us is that single-minded hearts see God. Single-minded hearts see God. And if you can't see spiritually, the cataract is not in the eye. It's in the heart. And so Jesus invites us to live in his kingdom where undiluted hearts see unobstructed sights. Jesus offers the blessing of seeing 
God. And by seeing God, he means perceiving and understanding and being aware of God's presence in and throughout my life. To be aware that God is in fact with me and for me. To see God is to relish God's joy in the finest of days. And to see God is to trust his goodness in my darkest days. And ultimately, to see God is to see God face to face in the new heavens and the new earth, our destiny. My circumstances don't determine whether or not I see God. My heart does. The condition of my heart determines the direction of my eyes, which determines the destination of my life. Single-minded hearts see God. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. How's your heart? How's your heart? See, the moment we come to grips with this big idea, with this truth here, you know, if we're really going to be honest, we have to ask what Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9 asks Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. You can say that. We read earlier from Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Well, who does that? Who does that? Who can stand up here and say, I got that down? I can't. Far from being focused, many times I find my heart distracted, deluded. Our culture's that way. Would you not agree? Recently, the Wall Street Journal uh, ran a story about people so distracted with their smartphones that they missed a Chewbacca impersonator walking in downtown San Francisco. I mean, just kind of blew by him, you know? There he was, a Wookiee, and didn't even see. I mean, now there are traffic signs, right? This is a real sign. Heads up, cross the street, then update Facebook. I mean, look, this is in Stockholm, you know? The article goes on to talk about how more and more pedestrians are finding themselves in the ER due to what's been called uh, inattentional blindness when they get into accidents crossing the street because they're on their cell phones. They're gawking at the screen. They're in their own little world there. They're distracted, you know? And these distractions, they endanger us. They delude us, and they shrink our worlds. Ironically, the more divided our hearts are, the, 
the more our worlds shrink, the more the world shrinks to the size of our world. We need help. I need help. And it's like you, you, you become endangered and you become enslaved. How am I going to get out? I'm trapped. The world has shrunk to the size of my world. That's not good. I, I experienced this in a very vivid way just Friday. Uh, so with my cancer, I needed to follow up with an MRI. And because they had seen a spot in my, uh, near my jaw and they wanted to just check it out and thank goodness it's nothing. It's just arthritis. My older brother would say, I talk too much. What does he know? But so, you know, I go, I go down into radiology and, and wonderful, wonderful, pleasant uh, help by uh, the personnel there. And you know, of course, the question now, you know, Mr. Bolding, yes, are you claustrophobic? And uh, I'm claustrophobic. I took an elevator on the way down. I mean, I'm fine. I, you know, I've, I mean, I've, um, I've done, I, I've been in compact cars. <laughs> fine. I can, I can do telephone booths. You know, remember when we had those? Sure. I can, you know, am I claustrophobic? All right, well, okay. So, you know, I'm now you know, lying on my back, and it's almost like a ride at an amusement park. Uh, and so then when it was time, they had my head fixed to hold it still. And then it was like, whoop, and I'm in this tube. And, it, and I mean, very quickly after I got in this tube, it was, there, was, there was no amusement at all whatsoever. My world just all of a sudden shrunk. And, and, and I'm going, oh my goodness. I mean, I mean now keep in mind, I'm only in to my waist, but it's like, I'm feeling, so this is what being buried alive feels like. This is not, oh, this is, and I've got to be in here for a half hour? Okay, well, okay, what am I going to do? Okay, I can do this. I can do this. All right, here's what I'll do. Okay, I'll just, uh, I'll just quote the 23rd Psalm uh, uh, slowly for a hundred times over the next 30, that's what I'll do. And so, and so, okay, okay, here, okay, I'm beginning to breathe really in a shallow way, and, and, and my, I can feel my pulse racing, and, and, and my world is just continuing to shrink. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, he leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear, get me out of here. And, I, and I've got this, you know, this panic ball that I'm supposed to squeeze in the unlikely event that I should have a panic attack. I am going, man, get me out of here. You know, and so I get whisked out and, 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 and you know, it's like, so that's what you meant by claustrophobic. I mean, this is like, Holy mackerel! And then there was like, okay, what are we, we going to do? Because we need to do this, and, and what are we going to do? What, am, what are we going to do? So, oh, the, the, the personnel, they were one. Valerie was so wonderful. Saint, Saint Valerie of... <laughs> St. Valerie of the radiation realm. I mean, she was just so good. And, and she, she said, um, let's try this. Let's, I, I've got a mirror that I can hook up to the kind of helmet that you need to wear to keep your head still. And the mirror will reflect out the tube so that you can see outside 
the machine and you can just keep your eye focused on me and I'll be there and I'll be uh, 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 monitoring the screen, but I'll look up every now and then and, and I'll just, you know, encourage you along the way. And so, I know, and I was, you know, I was panicked, but I was also embarrassed. It's like, oh, man, but, but yeah, okay, let's, okay, let's try this mirror. So, so I, they put the mirror on and then they put me in and I still kept, up on the Psalm 23, but I could, I could see outside my claustrophobic tubular world, and I could, I could see Valerie, and she'd look up every now and then and encourage me, tell me, you know, you're doing great, and, and my circumstances did not change, but my perspective did. My perspective did. I could see that there was a, a bigger world outside of that little MRI-ish world. And what I want to tell you, church, is that this word is our mirror. This word is our lens to get our focus off of our claustrophobic, tubular world of one into God's world and God's perspective and God's point of view. And, and as we focus on the Word, through the Word, seeing life by means of the Word, focus single-mindedly undividedly we see God and when we see God that encourages us and purifies us and so it's a it's a cycle it's a cycle pure hearts see God and then seeing God purifies the heart it's a paradox what, what I know is that I cannot purify myself with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so, Psalm 24 tells us of the king of glory. The king who is the word made flesh. Psalm 24, 1 and 2, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The king who created all things. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 24, we see that he came unto his own. Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. He ascended the holy hill to the holy city. The holy one stood in the holy place. And with clean hands and a pure heart, the king said, come to me and I will give you rest. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And King Jesus never lifted his soul to what was false. And never did he swear deceitfully. And for that he was rejected and arrested and falsely accused and executed on a Roman cross for us. Jesus was the only one who could ever say, I have kept my hands clean and my heart pure. But he was treated as if he was not. 
And in his death, burial, and resurrection, God vindicated him, revealing that Jesus is, in fact, the king of glory who has the power and strength to do all things, including the recreation of your heart by faith, which is why we contend that Christianity is not the reformation of your morals, but the recreation of your heart. And so in Psalm 24, 7, when we read, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. We see through Christ that these gates and these doors are the gates and doors of our hearts. The psalmist is saying, open your heart to the king and invite him in by faith and receive his blessing and his righteousness. And now, beneath his merciful rule, I can live with an undivided heart. I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to say everything's fine just to keep up appearances. I can dare to be broken. I can show up. I can stand up. I can speak up. I can confess. I don't have to have it all together. I'm not perfect. And I can pray, create in me a clean heart, O God. And with an undivided heart, I admit him into my life. And I enjoy his company. And I detect his comings and goings. And and whatever's happening in my life, I understand that it happens under his merciful, sovereign watch. And when, listen, with an undivided heart, I see this king of glory and I am mesmerized by his beauty and splendor. Do you know what happens next? Sin loses its allure. Sin loses its interest. Our small group is studying a book by Dallas Willard called Renovation of the Heart. And Dallas Willard says that purity and holiness happen when Jesus becomes more interesting to me than sin. Wow. Can you imagine a church community more interested in Jesus than sin? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a church community gathered on a campus and having worship together? They go out. They go out working and teaching and researching and accounting and insurancing and medicining and manufacturing and constructing, all with the perspective that there is a God on high, and this God appeared in human flesh to bring heaven to earth, and God is restoring this world and Jesus in his resurrection is the first of a vanguard, a coming kingdom. And we have received a deposit of that certain future by his Holy Spirit poured out on his people, transforming hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, hearts that can see. And so we go out and we see this world differently. We see our circumstances differently. We see our vocations differently. You get a promotion of a lifetime. Well, this is from God. 
I am humbled by this. I am grateful for it. I want to steward it well. You get the termination notice. God, I don't understand this, but I will receive it as from you because my life is lived in your sight. I will trust you. I will trust you. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying there won't be tears. But I am saying that there is a calling. A calling drawn by the king to an otherworldly life. And then the world looks at the height of our lives and the balance and the grace and the poise. And you know what they say? They say, these Christians live so poetically, so artfully. They live as if in the presence of royalty. Single-minded hearts seek God. The condition of your heart determines the direction of your eyes, determines the destination of your life. And when you see your king, your heart is pure, and your pure heart allows you to see the king. And you say, oh, Jesus, will you let me see your face? And he says, let you. I command you. Psalm 27, 8. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I see.